Hey guys, I'm Valerie. And I'm Jasmine, and this is Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. Thank you for continuing to come back and listen. Um, we actually wanted to address something really quick in the beginning of this episode. Um, it was brought to our attention by a wonderful girl named Bella. She, um, Her Instagram handle was Mile High Knitter, and she took the time to reach out to us to tell us that we said something incredibly offensive that we did not catch when we were editing our episodes. And we're not going to repeat it, but we just want to ensure that if, like, I mean, she just, she did it in such a great way that she came to us and she was like, hey, I just want you guys to be aware that, like, that's not cool. And, like, that's amazing. Like, if anybody ever feels that way, please just tell us. Like, the last thing on earth that we want to do is offend anybody. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, um, yeah, I definitely want to apologize for that. Um, you know, I was really ignorant to some of the things that I've said. Um, you know, just trying to do this and, um, I guess, use the right verbiage and break out of, like, you know, my old habits, I guess you can say. Um, but, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Um, you know, she was totally understanding and um you know I'm just glad she she let us know how she felt instead of just automatically judging us based off of that um so I definitely appreciate that for sure right and we would never say anything in a like in a mean or hateful way like if something comes across as really ignorant or really inconsiderate it's because we're dumb not because we're mean so, like, yes. educate us. Like, if we say something that you're like, okay, first of all, you're just fucking wrong or that's ignorant or that's just, you know, inappropriate, like, tell us. Because it's something that we're doing, you know, subconsciously, which unfortunately is really easy to do. So, thanks again, Bella. We really appreciate that. Um, also, she makes some really cool fucking art and post pictures of her chickens. So, <laughs> she does i just i actually just really like her also but you know so there's that but you know i just i really appreciate that and it's really cool that you know that somebody felt comfortable to come forward to us and say hey i just i noticed this and it's not cool like absolutely do that we want to hear that because we're doing this for you guys so if there's something that you're like i don't like that at all that's not okay the only way we can fix it is if you make us aware of it absolutely and um you know I I like, you know, getting more information on things. So, like, I am kind of ignorant to some of the things that I say. Like, you know, like, not really thinking about it. So, yeah, I don't, I definitely, like, I'll do whatever, research whatever I have to research if it offends you and, like, really break down everything, like, meanings and stuff like that. Like, just to kind of educate myself. Um, if that ever happens, but yeah, I definitely like that was really dope of her just to reach out to us like that. And right. I hope everybody just when we say reach out to us and you know we're really nice, like we just really just generally want to have a conversation with people. Like that's literally all it is, you know. Oh yeah, she's like, my buddy now. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> like we yeah, we want to talk to you guys. Like it's amazing. Like that's what that's what we're doing. This is just like a friendship circle, except for that you only listen to me tell stories. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we just are. I guess like we really just want you guys to feel like we're your friends, and you're just having a conversation with the girls. Like 
you know, just chilling. So yeah, definitely. We, it was awesome. It was really awesome. It is. And if, you know, and that is true for anything. If you ever want to talk to us about anything or feel like, hey, like I'm having this issue or, hey, I hate this that you guys did or, I mean, just, hey, I want to tell you guys the story because it just blows my mind. Like, I don't want it on your podcast, but I just want to tell you, like, that's what we're here for. Like, that's the point of this is that you guys can, you know, get to know us in the way that we tell our stories and that we talk and that you feel like you can communicate with us. Because we're, I mean, just average people. We're the most average people. <laughs> like, we really are. <laughs> yeah, we're both super down to earth. Like, we just we 100% just want to be friends with everybody and well that's not true that was an exaggeration we want to be friends with everybody (laughs) who have these certain things in common but you know just yeah we we're very sorry if we offended anybody in anything that we've ever said and you know just please if there's ever an instance where it comes up again let us know that we've said something that has offended you so that we can find a way to correct it and to make it better so we just wanted to address it because there's no way that she's the only person who noticed it. It's gone now. Yeah. <laughs> but it was there and a lot of people heard it. <laughs> and right, right. And you know, like I noticed it and then I was like, maybe I should have said that. And like I said, it's just, you know, just my ignorance really of um you know, I say it so like I used to say it a lot when I was younger without thinking about who it affected. And now that I have a child, I'm kind of like, well, I would feel the exact same. Or if I had any family members, like I would feel the exact same way. So. Well, yeah. yeah, And we don't want, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Just, yeah. So. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. So thanks, Bella. And, you know, thank you for everybody who have, I mean, you guys have just been so nice and so great to us. I mean, we just, this is what we're here for. We love doing this. We love telling stories. We love talking about true crime and the fact that people want to like tune in every five days and listen to us. Like the second that we release an episode is literally the greatest thing that's ever happened. It's amazing. I know. I'm always like, Oh my God, dude, people are listening to us right now. It's so weird. (laughs) Right. It's, It's awesome. You guys support us and we love it. It's incredible. Thank you so much. So today, and actually the next the next um, episode that you'll hear too, we <laughs> we're gonna be doing Josh Powell, and we have put in so much time. We're actually we're gonna be doing this together. It's gonna be the first time that we're doing an episode together. Um, we both listened to about eighteen hours worth of um, the podcast Cold, which did I mean just the deepest dive that you'll ever in your life hear about anything um on this case he did an excellent job it was incredible we also watched a documentary together um which was the id documentary of susan powell we um also read some articles by fox 13 news investigation discovery dailymail.co.uk radar online and kutv so this is going to be our baby now because (laughs) it is going to be it's intense so we're gonna you know see how this goes we haven't done an episode together yet and just let us know what you think about it because if you guys like this style we might do it again and if you don't well then you maybe you won't have to hear another one so that's fine (laughs) i hope you like it i'm kind of excited it's it's definitely different um but yeah 18 hours of my life uh, 18 plus let's say that i said don't forget but, the documentary so 18 hours of podcast yes 18 hours plus 
So, Jasmine, do you want to do the honors and start us off? Absolutely. All right. So, um, Susan Cox was born the third of four daughters to Chuck and Judy Cox in the state of Washington. Um, She grew up as a devoted member of the LDS Church, uh, Latter-day Saints, and she was incredibly close to her sister, Denise. The two of them love birds, and they actually had up to 30 parakeets at one point in time. That's a lot of birds. It's <laughs> a lot of fucking birds. I've only had, like, two birds in my life, um, and RIP to those birds, because, yeah, no, never mind. Um, and it was when I was way younger. Uh, so, yeah, 30 parakeets? That's crazy. That's a lot. I used to have parakeets, too, when I was a kid. Do those talk or do they just like chirp a lot? They just chirp. No, parrots are the ones that talk in um cockatiels. Okay. Right. Well, I don't really like birds. Um, oh, but anyways, okay. that's, that's a story for another day. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, 30 parakeets at one point in time. It's fucking insane. So, um, Susan was also big into writing and journaled almost daily. Um, so like I tried to journal when I was younger. Didn't work. Yeah, I, no, I sucked at it. it too. It would have like six words on each day. Right. Or like I'd write one day and then I'd forget for like a month and would never keep up with it. So Yes, everybody, y'all will see, if you are not familiar with the story, um, y'all will see very quickly that everybody, <laughs> everybody is obsessed with journaling in this. Literally. Like it, it blows my mind about how many people freaking journaled i admire um, it honestly yeah no definitely so when she was 19 she attended a mormon singles event where she met josh powell and the two clicked immediately and so josh grew up kind of in a little bit less of a happy environment he had two brothers michael and jonathan and two sisters jennifer and alina so jennifer was kind of the black sheep of the kids and it's just because she was incredibly independent and she didn't really spend much time with the family so their parents Stephen terry divorced when josh was a kid and it was super messy um josh ended up living with his dad and between his dad and his mom they didn't get along at all anymore at this point and so josh ended up acting out a decent amount as a kid and he um for starters killed one of his sister's gerbils and then he threatened to kill his mom with a knife and he actually attempted suicide yeah um the moment he killed my gerbil it would have been done i know Uh, (laughs) yeah definitely uh But, you know, none of this was evident to Susan when they both met. Uh, Josh was, like, super loving towards her, and he took really good care of his parrot um, because he also had a bird. Uh, She was, like, match made in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Definitely. So Susan wanted more than anything to be a mother, and she thought that uh, because Josh was so good at taking care of his parrot, that he would definitely be a good father. Because that's the same thing. Right. That's like, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I, you know, I'll say my opinions on that. But so after just two months of dating, Susan and Josh actually got engaged. So Susan kind of planned on having a long engagement since they got engaged so quickly. But Josh was like, no, I am (laughs) like, we I am locking this down. I want to marry straight away. So they ended up marrying in the spring of 2001. And Susan's parents were not supportive. Like not only had the couple barely just met 
but they also knew that he had a lot of debt and she was financially stable. And so they were worried about his intentions. And additionally, her mother had said something along the lines of like, she saw darkness with him, which is just creepy. Right. Definitely. She had like that mother's intuition. Yeah. She was like, no, I don't like him. But (laughs) Susan brushed it off because she's like, well, I love Josh. I'll do anything for him. And so once they got married, they got joint bank accounts and Josh began spending her money. But that didn't really change how happy Susan was. Right. And wasn't she only like 19 whenever they married or? Yes. Yeah. She was only 19 when they met. Yeah, that's crazy. So, um, yeah, so for a while, Susan was the only one working. Josh had lots of entrepreneurial ideas, but wasn't terribly successful. Um, you know, he was also a total cheap ass. Like, he, like, quickly began controlling their money. He would buy himself gadgets and computers. Um, and, in fact, he had insane amounts of hard drives and computers. Uh, but he wouldn't let Susan spend any disposable income on herself. Like, none. Um, He had control over all of that. And that right there is fucking insane to me. I agree. Um, Yeah, no. You're not going to sit there and buy yourself all this stuff and not let me buy anything for myself. Especially because she was the one earning the money. Right. Like, bitch, I earned that money. Right. (laughs) I worked that. You didn't. I know. Yeah, no. So Susan wasn't overly concerned at first uh, just because they they were both saving um, a lot of money by living with Josh's dad, Steve. Uh, so they stayed there for two years before moving to Utah to try and become closer to Josh's mom and sister, Jennifer. When the two moved to Utah, Susan Susan got a job as a stockbroker at a bank, and she, again, was the only one who had a consistent income, which will, like, come to learn that she's the main breadwinner in this family. Yeah, for the entire existence of their relationship. So in yep. <laughs> so in 2005, they had their first son Charlie. But during her pregnancy, Susan started to notice a change in Josh. He started acting more aggressively and more angry, and he was also becoming more obsessed with his electronics. In fact, Chuck, which again was Susan's dad, had to force him off of his computer so he wouldn't miss the birth of Charlie. He like Chuck had to actually take Susan to the hospital. Because Josh was so concerned in whatever he was wrapped up with in his computer. So in 2007, they had their second son, Brayden. And most importantly to Susan at this point, Josh began disliking the church. Again, they're part of the LDS church. And Susan's faith was incredibly important to her. And Josh's sudden change of heart caused a lot of contention for them. Not only did he stop going, but he encouraged their two sons not to believe in God or the values of the church. And he told them they didn't have to listen to their mother and that the church was bad. Yeah, you know, I think any place that, I mean, no, I don't agree with that, but. (laughs) I don't either. Well, and especially it was such a big part of when they first got married because they, you know, they met at a singles event at this church. And I mean, that's how Susan was raised. Her religion was so important to her and he made it seem as if it was so important to him. So then all of a sudden she's pregnant and he's like, I don't really care about the church anymore. And I'm going to teach our sons that it's not important is a huge deal right it's almost like he tricked her in a way right yeah that's insane um so 
he began controlling more aspects of their lives. Um, Josh had actually started working as a real estate agent, so he finally had a source of income. But, you know, he would only allow Susan a small sum of money to buy groceries for the family. Um, he would get snacks for and food for himself and then demand she buy cans of sale chili to feed her and the kids. Um, and I think it was in the documentary where they were talking about how much chili she had bought because it was on sale. And she, like had cans and cans and cans of it. She would literally take chili every day for lunch and then uh, offer to trade it with people that she worked with. Yeah, she, like, traded a can of chili for a cup of noodles type thing that somebody had had in their drawer um, just because she was so sick of having canned chili because that's literally all that she ate for a very long time. It was very sad. I mean, honestly. Definitely. Um. So, yeah, and, like, he prioritized himself for the kids, and if there was ever a shortage in food, he made sure that he ate first. Um, and, you know, like, and when Charlie was just a year old, the doctor told Susan he had malnutrition. Words are hard. Right, definitely. And the, so, like, my thing is, you know, I would think you would want your children to eat before you right like to me that's the way it's always been like the kids eat first then the adults whatever's left over will eat and then if the kid is hungry you give them more right and his logic was like well the kids are just gonna poop it out so they only need to eat once a day yeah which is not how you raise a small child that's such a bad idea definitely not (laughs) um so you know um susan decided to secretly open up a bank account to stash extra money in uh, you know, for food. She had to ensure that she had money to get the boys' birthday and Christmas presents because if it was up to Josh, they wouldn't get anything. Um, but, you know, Josh would buy anything at all, anything and everything that he wanted, and this included thousands of pounds of wheat. <laughs> they literally had, like, white buckets. Like, what are those buckets comparable to? This, like, what you see... Oh god. Like if you if you've ever worked in a restaurant, which is not applicable to everybody, but like you know, you know those giant white buckets that I'm talking about. They're like a couple gallons large. And basically he had like tons of them filled with wheat. What the hell do you need that much wheat for? Right. I've never worked in a restaurant, so I actually don't know what you're talking about. Oh. Um, right. <laughs> but you no, saw the documentary, I, so you saw the picture of it. And yes. there are these giant white... You know what? I'll put it on the Instagram. There we go. Now and, everybody can see wasn't it. Wasn't it like white wheat and then red wheat and then like rice or something? Yeah, he, he had an array of wheat. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell are you going to do with the wheat? What on earth does anybody <laughs> do with that? I mean, it just... It literally doesn't make sense to me. But... So the two also were sharing a single car and Josh actually wouldn't let Susan drive it. So he actually had her ride her bike to work and she worked about seven miles away. She was probably super athletic. This made me so mad. Why? Because when they describe it, they're like, um, like her trip to work was off of a major like road or highway so there's big ass like semis constantly like passing her and she's on this bike right like, what the hell like rain or shine like frequently um some of her co-workers would offer her a ride home and stuff like that but like it's just kind of disgusting especially because even when he wasn't working like she wasn't allowed to take the car and it's like okay well first of all you don't need to go anywhere you're not working 
Right. What the fuck are you going to do? Just let it sit there? Fuck you. Yeah. And also, she's paying for it. What do you mean she can't drive it? And but, it's probably under her name. Right. And so he was super controlling. And I mean, she unfortunately, you know, she fell victim to it. And at this point in time, he also wasn't intimate with her at all. In one of her journals, she actually refers to herself as celibate because during this whole time, like I said, she always, she just wanted to be a mother above everything. So she wanted another child and she loved being a mother. And what the hell was that whistle? It was Antoine's stupid um, remote control. <laughs> you know what, y'all? This is what it's like um, recording in a pandemic in two different locations. We're just going to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was Antoine. He was playing his game. And we were trying to figure out how to lower the volume on the um, remote control there. And we can't figure it out. So, <laughs> so oh, well. Anyways, so Susan was not getting any kind of affection from Josh at all. And in fact, he would like say stupid shit. Like if they got into an argument, he'd be like, okay, well, we're not having sex like for the next month. And he would like literally withhold affection from her and things like just continue to decline. One of Susan's friends watched the kids one day so she could actually go speak to a divorce attorney. And this was really difficult for Susan because as part of her faith, she didn't really believe in divorce. And she knew that her options were dwindling and she wanted to know what to do. So the legal advice that her divorce attorney gave her was to make a video of her assets so that if the two did divorce, Josh couldn't run off with all of the expensive, like, computer equipment and all of that stuff and take all of their possessions that they would actually have record of what they owned because otherwise I mean he literally could just like pack up a car full of their possessions and leave and nobody would know so the attorney told her to put it in a place that Josh would never find it and in the video which is dated July the 29th of 2008 she said and I quote just in case something happens so she got a safe deposit box at work that Josh didn't know about. And in addition to the videotape, there's also a letter in the box, which we'll actually touch on later. Yes. And um, also, like, you can look up this video and it is really creepy. Um, and it's not because she does anything weird or anything like that, but it's like... You know, she's doing it because there's a possibility of them getting a divorce. But at the same time, her just going through all of their assets and everything, um, it's, you know, she's preparing for the worst. And it's just, it's just, it, gives, it gave me like an eerie feeling when I saw it. Oh, same. Especially because the two little boys are in it because they're like, you know, running around in the house, whatever. And she's walking around and she's like, you know, just in case something happens or maybe we'll live happily ever after. Like, she just sounds so, like, defeated. not confident. Yeah, exactly. Defeated is a great word. And right. it's it's really sad. And it's, you know, it's just really raw, like, emotion in it. It's really interesting. Yeah. I highly recommend watching it. It's nothing, you know, nothing no bothersome. Yeah. Anything like that. Exactly. It's, just, it's sad because you see all of the shit that he has for himself. Yeah. And barely anything for anybody else. Yeah, basically the only thing that she says that belongs to her is a jewelry box that's broken because she's like, oh, like Josh broke it when he was mad one day, but like this is my jewelry box. 
Right. Like, it's, yeah. Right. And everything else is computers that all belong to Josh. And tools. Like, yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So you know, she kept a file at work that included a journal that one of her uh, work friends actually knew about. So she told her that if if anything ever happened to her, let the police have it. Um, and in this journal, she wrote about her fears of getting killed and it being staged to look like an accident. Creepy. I know. Awful. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, recently Josh had also been watching shows like Forensic Files and had been making remarks about mistakes that murderers make and how if they put someone in a mine, they wouldn't ever be found. So, was it in the documentary that they said that, you know, she was he was having a conversation with some of her, was it work friends? Um, or some friends, and, like, they immediately got creeped out with this whole conversation and where it was going. So I want to actually defend that, though, because I feel like (laughs) I try to have conversations like this and people don't understand because I'll be like, oh, my God, I was watching this documentary and they did this and this. And like, if they would just do this, they totally wouldn't have gotten caught. And you know what I mean? Like, so I can see how that could rub people wrong. But just because of the situation that they were already in, I think that it rubbed people the wrong way because Josh was like, oh, yeah, it'd be really easy to kill somebody and get away with it. And so like if it was me and you, like they know that we like stuff like this. So for us to bring something like this up, it would be normal. Right. And I mean, he was just interested in stuff like this, but just because of how she felt about the situation made it kind of eerie. Yeah, definitely. Well, and what adds to that is that they had recently opened up life insurance policies Mm. by Josh's request. So the policy was for over a million dollars if it was redeemed within the next four years. Which, why the fuck does that exist? Can we talk about that real quick? Like, why would you have a life insurance policy that's like, well, hey, if somebody dies in the next four years, you can have, like, a lot more money. Right. Who was, I think it was um, Dean Cook who did, like, a comedy special. And one of his um, jokes was, like, his wife took out like a $50 million life insurance policy out on him. Um, you know, they were doing it for each other basically. And he was like, Oh, I guess when I go home, I'm going to make you taste all my food first, just to be on the safe side. (laughs) And she was like, I would never, he's like, for $50 million, I'll kill myself. So y'all can have it. I'm worth more dead than alive. But I mean, and that, you know, that's true in a lot of these things. And that's the problem. It just doesn't make sense to me why you would also have like a benefit of dying sooner with a life insurance policy. Right. Like that seems like a really odd perk. (laughs) And then with like all the issues they were going through for them to do that, like with all this craziness and her, you know, thinking, you know, thinking like negatively, like about her dying, basically, like. That's, yeah, no, I would have been talking to everybody and their mom, like, something's gonna happen, something's gonna happen, well, something's yeah. gonna happen. And she was, like, 28 at this point yeah. in time. Like, it's been a couple of years, you know, since, it's been a lot of years, actually, since they've been married, and, like, she's 28, she's my age, and I'm like, why yeah. would I be taking out a life insurance policy for myself for a million dollars when I'm 28 years old? I'm sorry, but if I die, it's just gonna suck. And, you know, my very few assets that I have, you know, y'all can just legally (laughs) split however the pet, you know, however it falls. Like, I don't understand the point of a life insurance policy as a 28 year old. And I just, 
whatever. They also both signed a power of attorney that allowed each of them to take out the other's retirement and other funds without permission of the other person. So without getting too into the financial aspect of that, basically what that means is that Josh can at any point in time go to Susan's, any of her accounts, like if she has a 401k, he can go to the 401k account and take all of it out without her approval because he has the power of attorney over her. It's like the same thing, like when you're in the hospital, like if somebody has like power of attorney over you, you can be like, okay, well, I'm choosing not to resuscitate them if they start to code. Right. So um, really quick, this might be a dumb question. Um, but so like, let's say if she, you know, she did all of this, if she would have like turned around, like within the next like couple of days without him knowing and went back to them, but like, I need you to take him off of my power attorney immediately. Like, could she do that? No, because that person, she was there when like she had to sign for him to be able to be her power of attorney. Hmm. She had to sign for that and she had to physically be present for that. So, like, you can't just rescind somebody off of it without having to go through more paperwork. Gotcha. So, like, the fact that she went along with that to begin with, which is just also, it's just one of those things that, like, why would you do that? Because especially with things, like, so here's the thing. When you die, the people either A, in your will, or B, who automatically become your, like, next of kin... Mm-hmm. Like, automatically get all your stuff if you don't have anything else written in a will. So, like, mm-hmm. the fact of, like, getting a power of attorney to me is that means that you are not going to be able to consent that I can have your money. Which means that, like, you're going to be a vegetable. You're going yeah. to be missing. You're, like, I'm going to take it, you know, without you being aware of it. Like, there's no reason for it to me. I don't right. see why you would need to do that because they're married and they have two kids. So if she were to die, he, like her money goes to him anyways. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. So I it's a really <laughs> sketchy thing to me. It's really sketchy to be like, hey, I want you to agree that I can touch your retirement whenever right. I feel like it. Why the nah. fuck would you agree to that? Nah, definitely not. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I know, I wouldn't either, but... Mm, okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, Susan decided it was time to give Josh an ultimatum, uh, which definitely, I, you, I signed a yep. million dollar, you know, bounty basically over my head. So now you have an <laughs> ultimatum, buddy. <laughs> so, um, you know, she told him that if things were, weren't better by their anniversary in April... They were going to get a divorce. Um, you know, she was tired of the emotional and verbal abuse. Um, you know, I just also want to reiterate that emotional and verbal abuse are domestic abuse. You don't have to be physically injured to be a victim of domestic abuse. Like, the verbal and emotional, I think, is one of the worst forms of the abuse. Because that right there is mental. And if mentally you're not okay everyone around you, you're going to affect everybody around you. You're not going to be okay. And they're definitely not going to be okay around you. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that I feel like, I feel like that's just like kind of a weird gray area for some people that they're like, Oh, well I'm technically not like a domestic abuse victim or, you know, like it's not a big issue because they, like they didn't hit me. It's like, no, if somebody is emotionally manipulating you the way that like Josh is Susan in this, that's domestic abuse. 100%. Yes. 
Definitely. So, on December the 6th of 2009, Susan's friend Giovanna came over. So the two usually met up like once a month. They would either knit or crochet. And because it was a Sunday, it was a really good opportunity for the two of them. So Josh even volunteered to make pancakes for lunch. So Susan usually did all of the cooking and cleaning. So she was like, uh, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> so Giovanna was helping Susan untangle a mess of yarn that she had that she couldn't undo. So... Lunch was ready. They all sat down to eat, but Susan felt kind of ill afterwards. So she was like, hey, I'm super tired. I'm not feeling up to it. And she decided to go lay down, even though Giovanna was still there. So Giovanna's like, okay, well, that's fine, whatever. And she started to like re-untangle the yarn. Well, Josh basically kicked her out of the house. He was like, well, I'm taking the boy sledding and, you know, it's snowing. We're going to, you know, be leaving. So you need to leave. So he basically forced her out of the house. In fact, she was like in her car and he was like backing out of the driveway before she even had time to leave. So she was like, okay, she took the yarn and she left. Right. And, you know, I thought it was kind of um, funny because she was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, we're going to go sledding. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's just, like, sitting there, still untangling the yarn. And he's just standing there. And he's like, yeah, we're, we're about to go. And she's like, oh, I think he wants me to leave. So I got up. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and he yeah. also, he was, like, looking up sledding locations in front of her. It was just really weird and really sudden. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. And so, also kind of weird that Susan, like, just in the middle of having her friend over, was just like, well, I'm going to go take a nap. Right. Like that is strange. Like all of a sudden, oh, I just ate. I'm super tired. Let me let me go lay right. down and you know, show yourself out or whatever. Don't take the thing. Um, so yeah. So um on uh Monday, December the seventh in two thousand nine, Debbie, Susan's friend who worked at their son's daycare, you know, she was concerned when the two boys didn't show up. Uh, not only was Susan always on time, but there had been a bad snowstorm the night before. So, you know, Debbie being concerned, um, you know, that they may have gotten in a wreck. Uh, she remembered that her husband actually helped Susan fix something with their furnace. So then her mind kind of, you know, like started um, running wild. She was kind of like worried that maybe something went wrong and they were in the hot uh, if I can talk, <laughs> they were in their house with, uh, you know, suffering from carbon monoxide um, poisoning, basically. So, you know, she panicked. She tried to call Susan and Josh. Both went straight to voicemail. She called Susan's work. Susan hadn't showed up. She called Josh's work, and he hadn't showed up either. Um, so then she called their emergency contact, which was Josh's uh, sister, Jennifer. And Jennifer tried to tried getting a hold of them and she couldn't get a hold of them either so debbie decided to drive by the powell house and noticed that there were no tire tracks in the fresh snow you know from the overnight storm and panicked uh jennifer called the police yeah so they were definitely thinking at this point in time that like these people are probably inside of the house 
like suffering from carbon monoxide poisoning and so the police like double checked like okay has their vehicle been in a car crash or are they in the hospital and it hadn't been so police got permission from jennifer to break into the house and they weren't gonna they couldn't gain access from the door quickly enough because they needed to get a locksmith and did it and they're like well if these people are suffering from carbon monoxide poison like we need to get them out so she was like yeah cool break the window get in so they did and the second that they got into the house they realized that like very clearly nobody was home the in the living room is where they came into the house and there were two box fans that were pointing at a freshly cleaned couch and a wet spot on the floor but weirder they found susan's purse with her wallet and her id in it so they're like oh shit something horrible must have happened like susan wouldn't have left the house without her bag like that doesn't make sense and the entire family of four was missing the car was not in the garage right i feel like anytime um in these cases anytime like a woman leaves like her purse or her wallet or keys her phone whatever just anywhere like in her house and doesn't take it with her that that kind of usually alludes to something bad happening um but like for me i don't take my purse everywhere but you take your wallet everywhere, right? No. What? Yeah, no, Anton gets on to me because sometimes I'll be like, oh, I don't need my wallet. And then he'll be like, oh, can you give me a pack of cigarettes when you get off? And I was like, nah, I don't have my ID. He's like, why don't you carry your wallet? Oh, my God. One of the terrible things about working at the hospital is we can pay for food with our badge. So you literally don't need a wallet to get everything that you need for the day. Right. Right. Which is um, bad news. You should definitely carry your purse because then somebody's going to walk into your house and be like, oh, I don't know if she's missing. She never carries a freaking purse. <laughs> Whereas like oh, this, like to them was like a giant red flag. They're like, oh, why would Susan have left without any of her belongings? That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So, uh, you know, um, the police and their family left voicemails for both of them trying to see if they're okay. You know, Josh ends up turning on his phone and picks up a call from one of Susan's friends who said Susan didn't show up at work and where are they? So Josh said he had the boys. She tells him that the um, police are at the house, but instead of going to the house, Josh drives in the opposite direction, um, which we later know from cell phone pings before calling Susan and leaving her a voicemail asking her where she is and if she made it to work. Then he drives her drives to her job where everyone already said that um, you know she wasn't and he calls her again to say he's there to pick her up. It's literally the dumbest thing. They're like, you know, oh, like, neither one of you went to work this morning. Like, where's Susan? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And then he's like, well, let me just drive there. And he goes there. He's like, hey, honey, I'm here. Like, you can come like out. It, I'm here to drive you like home. You literally had like four people tell you she's not there, and you're right. still gonna go there. Nah. And he was also eluding police at this point. Like he wasn't like responding to them straight away. It took him several hours to get to the house, even though he was in the relatively like nearby area. He wasn't returning phone calls or anything. So he finally gets back, and police ask him like, "What the hell have you been doing? And where is Susan?" And Josh basically says like, "Oh, well, the boys wanted to go snow camping last night and have s'mores, so they went to the Pony Express Trail, which is just like this large highway in the area, and they drove past the sheep herder to a spot where they camped out for the night." <laughs> 
And Susan didn't want to go and he forgot that it was Sunday. He thought it was Saturday. So he hadn't thought about the fact that he would have to call daycare or call into work. And the officer pointed out that there was a storm coming in and that his story doesn't make any sense. And Josh is just like super nonchalant about it. He's like, oh, well, you know, whatever. Like, you know, we're from here. Like, you know, camping in the snow is not a big deal. And da, da, da. So the officer's like, okay, well, like, why is your phone turned off? Like, how come none of us could get a hold of you? And Josh is like, well, I'm trying to preserve the battery because, you know, we're like, we're out in the middle of nowhere and I don't have a charger and da, 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 da. But the police officer is like, there's a charger plugged into USB drive in your car. Like, I can fucking see it. <laughs> yeah, that drives me crazy. And then, like, he uses this excuse, like, before he gets there, oh, the boys are hungry. I need to go get them something to eat first, which we'll see. Like, he does anything and everything to show up where and when he wants to show up. Right. I can't hate a non-functional person. I know. Well, <laughs> especially like, okay, well, we're telling you like your wife didn't show up to work today. And like, we've been looking for you. Like, why are you trying to be like, oh, well, I'll just drive by there and I'll take my sons out for some lunch. And I'll like, for especially somebody who doesn't regularly feed his kids. Right. Like, like remember he fed them. Exactly. Like, remember that he only fed them once a day. So, like, right. he's not concerned about them not getting food. That's right. not what it is. Yeah, no, not at all. So, anyway, so the police search the house and the vehicle. And um, when they're in the car, they find Susan's cell phone hidden in the center console behind some stuff. Um, so, then inside the house, they find 16 blood droplets adjacent from the clean pouch that are later confirmed to belong to Susan. Um, you know, the only medicine they found in the house, aside from basic over-the-counter um, meds, are flexural and peridium. So, flexural is a muscle relaxant that can be pretty powerful. Um, it can definitely knock you on your ass and has a common side effect of sleepiness. Peridium is used for UTI symptom relief. I mean, it's not, like... You can, I think you can get peridium over the counter, can't you? You can. It's also called azo. And basically, it turns your pee bright orange, but it makes it not burn when you pee. So, like, if you have a UTI, right. you're like, sweet, I can use this until, like, my antibiotics kick in and I'll have bright orange pee. But, like, you can't, like, I mean, I'm, you can theoretically overdose on anything, but, like, peridium wouldn't do anything weird to you that you could, like, possibly overdose. Whereas, like, Flexoril is a little bit stronger, especially depending on the person and what they're used to. And, like, Susan was a relatively small person. I mean, she was freaking biking seven miles a day to work, so. Right. <laughs> like, I... I have flexoril and I'm definitely bigger than Susan was. And just one of those knocks me out. Right. I have to take it like super early in the afternoon. If not, like it's like taking NyQuil at like three o'clock in the morning, expecting to wake up at six and not be groggy. Just like, silly. Terrible. Right. Yes. And at this point, I just, without getting too far into it, I just want to, like, mention that, you know, don't forget that, like, after she ate the meal that he cooked, she was really sleepy. Yeah. So, it, you know, who knows? Maybe there was a flexoril crushed up in her food. Just yeah. a thought. I have no idea. But so police, like, totally don't trust Josh. They bring him in for questioning and they reassure him that, you know, he can leave at any time. He's not arrested. He says he doesn't know where Susan is and he was like relatively emotionless until he finds out that Debbie, the friend who was from the daycare who originally alerted everybody was present when the police broke into the house. 
he actually gets angry and he tells them that like Debbie has a key to the house. They didn't need to break a window and now he has to pay to fix the window. And police are like, well, what the fuck? You haven't showed any emotion this entire time and now you're upset about a broken window? So they ask him, they're like, well, do you want to talk anymore? And he says something along the lines of like, well, let me think about it for a few days. And the detective who's on the case, Ellis, he's like, dude, your wife is missing and you want to think about it for a few days, which is not a direct quote. I don't think he said dude, but. (laughs) But basically he was probably. But basically he was like, dude, really? You want to think about it for a few days? That's the dumbest like thing I've ever heard. Think of like that Jackie Chan meme where he's like, "What?" Like with his hands on his head, like <laughs> yeah, that's what he was thinking in his head, like, right? Because it doesn't make gone? sense. Your wife is fucking gone, and you want to take the time to think about if you want to talk to us. Yeah, you're right. We have all the time in the world. That's fine. Right. Not an urgent um, matter at all. <laughs> no, definitely. So, um, simultaneously, another detective is talking to their oldest son, Charlie, who was four at the time. Charlie says that he went camping with mommy and daddy. He said his mommy stayed at the park where the crystals are. Um, and police tell Josh that he has a formal interview um, the next morning at 10. So, the next day, Jennifer, um, Josh's sister, comes to Josh's house just before 10 to help with the kids while he goes to the police interview. He has no interest in being there anytime soon, though. Like, in fact, he's been cleaning the house and doing laundry, which, first of all, is really weird, um, which I love Jennifer. And we'll come to find out she's really on Susan's side of all this. Oh, 100%. So, you know, she's yeah, great. And she was like, I know you, and I know you never do any of this, so why are you doing this now? Um so, you know, he asked her to keep doing, you know, keep cleaning, keep doing the laundry while he's gone. And, you know, Jennifer, she's like super weirded out about it because she's already suspicious of him. She knows that uh, Susan wouldn't just walk away from her boys and Josh ends up being four hours late to the interview with police. And I just want to remind you that, like, at this point in time, police have already seized his vehicle, and they're searching his house, his phone, his computers. Like, so Josh doesn't really have, like, a place to be or, like, any of his own stuff right now. So he's like, fuck it. He gets in a cab, he goes to the airport, and he goes to a rental car place at the airport. He rents a car, and he drives a total of 800 miles, buys a prepaid cell phone, and he is completely unaccounted for for two full days. So when I heard this part in the podcast, and I think they mentioned in the documentary, um, it automatically reminded me of Israel Keys. All that fucking driving that they do for no reason or to try to get them away from the crime scene, I guess, or whatever they're trying to do. Like, it just, it's insane to me, the links that they go to. Oh, I totally agree. It is absolutely insane. And I think that's pretty much where we're going to leave you for now, because that kind of gets you set up into, like, where we're at in their relationship. And next episode, it don't worry, it's only going to be two parts. But next episode, we're going to tell you everything there is to know about what was going on in this relationship and where things stand at this moment. Yes, to be continued for sure. Um, yes. We've only, we've only gotten like halfway through this. And this is a really crazy case. Like we said at the beginning, 
it was 18 plus hours. So yeah, we're definitely, we're going to deep dive for sure. Yeah, there's a lot more information coming for you, but we just wanted to kind of do, it's way too long for one episode. Mm -hmm. So we just thought for this first part, we would just give you that nice introductory part. So um, we hope that you are intrigued enough to keep listening and find out what happens in part, not part two. Yeah, part two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. In part two. <laughs> I don't make the rules. <laughs> it could be part five. You never know. You know, whatever. <laughs> so until then, check out our pictures on the Instagram. Yes, at Crash Drafts and Crime. Um, look at our, you know, like hardly anything, but like we announce episodes on Facebook. <laughs> yes, at Crafts and Drafts, Crafts, Drafts and Crime. <laughs> Ayo. Um, you can shoot us a Gmail about, you know, any kind of story they want to tell us or any kind of feedback that you want to give us. Yes, also at uh, Crafts, Drafts and Crime at gmail.com. And if you want to listen to me rant, you can follow <laughs> us on Twitter. <laughs> at Crafts and Crime, because they wouldn't fit the whole name. Yeah. The username. But yeah, yeah sure wouldn't. Uh, dominates the Twitter scene on that one. Gotta love it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is all my bullshit. So I actually, I haven't used my personal Twitter account in a while. <laughs> because I've been like just on our Twitter account and they're connected on there and I'm like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like following people and, like people I'm like wait a minute this is not my personal account people are like what the fuck is this who's following me now it's fine exactly no definitely it's it's dope I love it <laughs> so thank you guys for continuing to listen don't forget you can check out our merch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to join Patreon, you can get that link on um, whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast. It's actually in the link notes or in the episode notes, somewhere in there. You <laughs> should be able to, I don't know, they're somewhere, okay? It's somewhere. <laughs> it's at Craft Dress and Crime. You can find us. Um, and what that'll give you is just two bonus episodes a month. Um, one of them is going to be like a current story and one of them is going to be a whatever story we feel like talking about. And there's already a couple on there, so you'll have a little bit of content to listen to straight away. Um, and I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we're good. Um, yeah. Cool. So until next time. Bye. Bye.